Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to become that confident leader and take your business and your life to the next level. Today, I have Kevin Hannigan as my guest. Please let me tell you a little bit about Kevin. Kevin is a senior leader who likes to use data and analytics to transform, innovate, and continuously improve organizations to make them the best that they can be. His passion is the intersection of business, technology, learning, and psychology. Kevin believes the world is constantly evolving and we should always be evolving and improving ourselves in business and in our personal lives. Through many years of working in a variety of businesses and industries, Kevin has been able to leverage technology and psychology along with data and analytics to improve organizational performance and transform businesses into high-performing organizations. Kevin frequently speaks and writes on topics of data-informed decision-making, the future of learning, and growth mindsets. Kevin lives in Massachusetts with his wife, Shannon, and their four children. Today, I chose as our title or our theme as Build Resilience, to avoid burnout. Please join me in welcoming my guest, Kevin Hannigan. Kevin, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me. That was a great intro. I'm looking forward to this topic for sure. So all uh, there are so many things in the intro before we even get to into this, but you, um, there's a lot of synergies in, in the way I think and the way that you think. And, and it was funny, I came, I retired from a very large transportation company. And one of my two-year assignments was to go to our largest customers. And what we really were telling them is that their packages were important, their companies were important, but the data was more valuable to us than anything. And getting it timely was very valuable. So I'm interested to hear all that you have to say. I always start out with a very easy question that um, my audience knows. You you gave us a hint in your bio. You're from Massachusetts, but it's a, not a large state, but it's a state that has cities. And what city do you live in? Yeah, it's, it is. It's not the biggest state in the world. I live in a town <laughs> called Medway which interesting, like you would think Medway way back in the olden days, if you went to Boston, Providence, Rhode Island, and Worcester, Mass, we were med- midway between uh, all of them and Medway. Very good. I think that's a good way to remember it too. Yeah. Excellent. So let's get into the meat of this. Um, how do our brains make decisions? And um, you state that there is a science to this. So please there is, share. Right? 
It, well, this is, I, again, you mentioned a lot in my intro about data and psychology and stuff. This is why I love this because it's, yeah. it's both. And I, I think taking a step back, the more we learn about how the brain works, the better we are in business and everything. And, and just because I use the word data, it doesn't mean we're going to talk about numbers or math. It, it's all sent, everything coming in the senses, right? So we're, we're exposed to, someone says, up to like 11 million senses at any given point in time. Think of the brain as like a powerful supercomputer. And when computers, you know, working fast, they have a fan that goes, they get hot, they burn out. The brain <laughs> is, is a genius and says, I can't process 11 million things. So I'm going to start by filtering. So all of those don't go into my brain. I'm going to filter what I think is relevant. And we'll come back to that later because what I think is relevant is unique to me versus someone else. Mm -hmm. uh, so it might be the relevant information is coming in. I just don't see it. Once it comes in, then it's going to go through the process of comparing it to what's happened in the past. So we we hear a lot of people today talking about you shouldn't make decisions with your gut or with instincts or intuition. What what they don't realize is intuition is data. It's your yeah. long-term memory. It's like, okay, five years ago, this situation happened. This is what I did. This was the result. The result's positive. And then without even me knowing unconsciously, here's my decision. Yeah. The challenge now is the world's changed so much that what was relevant five years ago isn't relevant now. So you, the, the decision is a little bit flawed there because a lot of times if you're not consciously thinking of it, it's using outdated data and you don't know. And the other flaw is that filtering system, it highlights things not only that you think are relevant that may not be, but it prioritizes negatives over positives. And so I think there was a study that said you have five um, positives to make up for one negative. Uh, mm -hmm. Out of every six, five will stick that are negative every time, only one will stick that's positive. So you have all these negative thoughts in your brain. You have all these things that, that your brain's telling you that you're not really sure why it's coming from. And ultimately, it ties to your beliefs and your value system, and then you output a decision, whether it's conscious or unconscious. When you think of it that way, like a computer, you have inputs, you have the database, which is all your memories and experiences, and what it passes into it is, is filtered, and then you have the output. Um, to me, that's decision-making. But again, it's flawed because it things are different now than they were even like yesterday or two years ago. When <laughs> we evolved, it was like, how do we not get eaten by dinosaurs? How do we find shelter? And for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, that was it. Now, just in the revolution age, it's like things are faster. It's not just about shelter. It's about how do we do better in work? How do we do better in life? How do we do better yeah. in society? So so tied to you know what i teach and in both in the leadership and the the fear of public speaking piece because all of those things do the fear does keep us and and we have as you said that that mindset that all that subconscious is bringing up all those negative things whenever you were talking i thought this is why i love the what if scenarios and to me yeah. i try to work my brain through the what if scenarios all the time because that helps you start to filter out okay well no that was then and all of those childhood things that were are keeping me from succeeding i need to put aside and start to think about well what if what if that you know what's the worst that could happen kind of thing did i die from that no okay well maybe we could try it one more time <laughs> 
Well, absolutely. What you're doing is genius. You're using a couple of different strategies. I mean, first, you're questioning it. So you're not just blindly letting the emotions root. But second, you're reframing it and trying to think of alternate scenarios, which, again, is going to help the brain in that process. And it, it's not complicated. I mean, everyone can go back and remember, just say, what if? Yeah, absolutely. So how do you overcome implicit bias? Yep. So implicit bias, or sometimes people call it cognitive bias or even unconscious bias is, is when your output, your decisions, your behaviors, your judgments, your actions are less than rational. They're coming out because of that shortcut in those filters that we talked about. Uh, and I'll give a very personal story to, to kind of resonate what, what it means. So when I was younger, the uh, neighbors next to me, there was a kid that was about my age, a couple of years younger, troublemaker, was always causing havoc. My parents couldn't stand him. One day was shooting BB guns at my parents' windows and just got her. Well, <laughs> he had red hair. And, and I didn't realize this, just where I was, there wasn't, you know, it was the only redhead that I had seen. For years, I was always, when I started, I'm like, oh, they're a troublemaker. Uh, I wasn't intentionally saying it, right? But then you mentioned I have four kids. The third one popped out. Uh, all of them usually come out with not much hair. He had so much hair, it looked like a wig, and it was flaming orange. It wasn't even like, <laughs> it was like, it looked like an orange peel with hair. And the daughter was, oh my God, he must be Irish. But instantly my brain was like, well, he's not a troublemaker. And then in my mind, I'm like, that's why implicit bias is you don't, you're not aware of it. So it can lead to stereotypes. It can lead to other things. I mean, another example, when I do a training in front of people and it's multiple days, the first day I will intentionally wear a very neon pink, but, you know, business appropriate pull down shirt. The next day I'll ask in the beginning, you know, how many people notice more men wearing pink shirts and everyone raises their hand. I'm like, okay, stop for a second. How many of you actually think that? I went around the neighborhood and paid people $5 to wear pink shirts the next day. And they're like, well, no, you didn't do that. I'm like, no, you told your brain it was relevant by me asking it and by me wearing it. So your brain filtered it and it looked for it. Just like people say, you know, when they're buying a car, they tend to see oh, that. Yeah. And all of those things are playing the part of, of leading you to a different conclusion that might not be rational. And that's what implicit bias. I mean, the most, Common one we see in work life and, and outside is, is confirmation bias, where you have an opinion, you see some evidence, whether it be data or information or statement, then we say, aha, look, I was right. There's the answer. Yeah. We don't say, well, what if that answer is wrong? What, <laughs> your point, what if that answer is outdated? We just say, perfect, move on. Um, that's yeah. implicit bias, and it impacts us more than most people realize. Yeah, I always... Uh, I was a project manager for 20 years and I used to not be sweet to marketing people because I said, you know, marketing can just change your mind yes. and make it seem like it's a fact and it, and it's, it's not, <laughs> you know, they just make you want to buy that thing or, or eat that burger just because of uh, the way that they ask questions and you think that um, it's a, a good study or survey, but it really isn't because in those questions, just the way they're worded, it creates that bias that you're talking about. 
Absolutely. Even just anchoring, like how you price something, right? You price something yeah. and then it's like 90% off. Wow, this is a steal. Not realizing that they marked it up 120% before. Not saying <laughs> one marketing does that, but that is a technique. No, no, no. Point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, having my business now, um, I see how marketing, if done right, is really fantastic and yeah. everybody should do it. But you have those, again, those fears of a time when it didn't go right, didn't go well, and uh, led you down the wrong path. So I love this next question about how can I turn data into wisdom? Yep, so I'll answer that by starting anyone that hears the term data, data, don't think numbers, don't think I never took math, this isn't for me. Data is everything that's going in your brain. It, you watch. Mm -hmm. You watch um, a news article and it says it's gonna rain, that's data. You wanna buy a coffee pod and you go on Amazon and you look at the reviews, that's data. So you have all this raw data, ultimately you need to make sense of it. What does it mean? What does it mean to my specific question and need? What does that mean? Do I have a bias about my beliefs? My Should I get different perspectives? And ultimately wisdom is when you've tested something like a hypothesis, you've learned from it, and then you've made a decision. And in my my thoughts are most people going from data to wisdom, they stop at what I call the knowledge step, which is you see a number. So my sales dropped 40% last year. And they're like, oh my God, the sky's falling. They don't go all the way to wisdom, which is why did it fall? Mm -hmm. Sometimes when they try to go there, they get the wrong information. They think it fell because of another thing that it was completely unrelated. So turning data to wisdom is how we, not just in business, but in life can make better decisions when we're exposed to all of this information. How do we mm -hmm. focus it, make sure it's answering what's relevant? How do we avoid bias? How do we avoid incorrect assumptions? And ultimately make a decision that's right for our question, knowing that someone else might have a completely different right answer for them. Yeah. And I think if you just keep on reminding yourself that your brain is a computer, it, it helps you a lot in understanding that. So we talked about the the theme is resilience. So how do you build resilience to avoid that burnout um, and recognize the causes? And you just touched on that a little bit, but I think a lot of times we don't take the time. Like we just want to get to the results and we don't take the time to understand the why. Yeah, it's you know the best analogy I've ever heard and, and told people is, first off, resilience is a skill. So if you think of it as a skill and you have a growth mindset, you can improve on the skill. Mm -hmm. no, to your point, no one is going to sit there and say, well, I want to get in better shape. I want to lose weight. I want to add muscle. I want to do run a faster time, whatever. But I'm going to skip the workouts and just will it to be, and I'm going to do some <laughs> mindfulness and magically it's going to happen. You have to exercise. Well, resilience is a skill and your brain is a muscle. You have to exercise it. And we mentioned in the beginning for every one positive thought, there's five negatives. So a lot of built up frustration and anger in there. So some of the strategies are just, you had mentioned just asking, well, what if out of that negative, what if there was a positive, what are the positives? Maybe you just didn't consciously remember it. Um, what if we're able to use this not as a positive now, but drive us towards our ultimate goal down the road of whatever that is? Um, 
sometimes just giving back helps release those positive emotions in your brain that offsets things. So building resilience is, is about practicing with the brain how to offset the negatives. So look for good in things, give back to people. Um, people sometimes think it's like cheesy and a waste of time to like practice mindfulness. But again, you walk to exercise. Why wouldn't you exercise the brain by practicing mindfulness? So yeah. All of those things come off as, I don't want to say earthy, crunchy, but they don't come off as scientific when in reality it actually is scientific. And most people think, well, I don't need to take a break. I don't need to drink enough water. I don't need yeah. to things. The more you do that, the more when things come up, you're going to be like, okay, we can get over it. We can move forward. Right, right. So what are the differences between a cognitive bias and the implicit? And I think we touched a little bit on this already, but um, can you delve deeper? Yeah. So the, I mean, in taking a step back above those two, there's, there's like willful bias and implicit. So mm -hmm. willful is someone is intentionally stereotyping or judging or in, or doing mm -hmm. something against you like they're doing it on purpose most times bias is really challenging because you don't know you're actively doing it and that's why it's so hard to overcome because step one is awareness if someone's not aware how are they going to do mitigation strategies because mm -hmm. they're not even aware so implicit bias is usually when your bias like the example with my son comes up with an association with some type of like red hair or religion <laughs> or race or whatever. Yeah. Um, whereas cognitive bias to, to me, everyone has different definitions is the overarching umbrella of how the brain is making decisions and how that can be biased, like confirmation bias. Um, you see a number that validates your opinion. Like, I don't think my local sports team is good. I look on the news and they lost 20 to one. I'm like, oh my God, see, they're horrible. And I don't see any positives in it. Or we mentioned anchoring, right? You, you see mm -hmm. a number and then you compare it, everything to that original number, you're kind of biased by that original number. Um, it is amazing how powerful bias can be. Yeah. And it's scary because most of us don't believe we have it. Yeah. Our unconscious drives us so much and, and we don't think about that. We always think, well, no, I, I, you know, I know what I'm doing. That's logical and everything, but it's really is our subconscious that's doing that. Exactly. And that's developed over hundreds of millions of years where the beginning, if you ever, again, why I love psychology in the brain, it started about the emotions, right? Is fight or flight is let's try to protect ourselves. That's mm -hmm. still in there. And that's the oldest part of it. So all of these unconscious thoughts are trying to say, how do I save Kevin? Mm -hmm. So this is flying by. Um, what is, uh, why is conflict good though? And um, in the, the workplace and yeah. really anywhere. This is an interesting one because I see a lot of people in business. I see a lot of people in home and like partnerships and spouses that are conflict averse. And sometimes people are conflict averse because they don't like conflict. But many times I, I believe people don't see value in it. And taking everything we talked about before, in order to avoid biases, in order to get the right answer, I need different perspectives. And I always give this scenario when I was younger, I'm probably dating myself, but there was this game show called Classic Concentration, where it was like a picture puzzle and you were asked questions. And once you got the question, a, a piece of the puzzle was flipped over. And 
once the enough of the puzzle was flipped over that you thought you knew what the picture puzzle was saying, like maybe you saw a microphone and a speech bubble and something you said, oh, action speaks louder than words, you, you won. But what was interesting is it's very misleading depending on which pieces get mapped over first. And, and that's the same thing in life. My perspective is misleading because my filter is unique to my growing up. If I didn't grow mm -hmm. up near Medway and I didn't have a redhead neighbor, my experiences could be different. So the best way to understand the full picture, the full you know classic concentration is to ask people that are different. So I'm a huge proponent of diversity, equity, inclusion, but for me, it's it's not really asking about like, you know, race, gen it, it is, but it's about, do they think differently? Do they act differently? Do they have different backgrounds? And once you do that, studies have proven millions of times that that diversity trumps ability. So if you're in a business meeting and you say something and I don't agree, but I don't politely challenge, then we're not better off. Yeah. You're not understanding a different perspective I'm not sharing my concerns. So conflict is a negative term, but it shouldn't be. And that's mm -hmm. why sometimes I say like productive conflict, because it's really better way of saying is you're getting different perspectives. And right. again, why I love the brain and why it's fascinating is studies show when people are having a discussion, nine times out of 10, the other person's not actively listening, especially mm -hmm. in a work setting. They're thinking mm -hmm. about how you're wrong and what the next question is to prove that you're yes. wrong. Where yeah. if you're dealing with conflict in a productive way, our goal is to understand. So I don't agree with you, please explain your thoughts more. And then my goal is to understand you. And then most likely I'm like, wow, I didn't understand that. Um, so I share another personal story mm -hmm. where um, I mentioned I have four kids, my oldest one, has some mental health challenges. So he has autism, so borderline personality disorder. And the way their brain works is fascinating, mm -hmm. but very different. Like in some senses, it's black and white. There's no shades of gray. Right. And so for like the first five, six years, I'm like, I just don't understand that at all. And then I'm like, okay, well, healthy conflict. Well, let's ask, why did you think this? And when they're explaining their logic, like, that's actually incredibly rational. I would never have thought that in a million years. You never would have shared that unless I asked. If I didn't mm -hmm. ask in that quote unquote healthy conflict, I wouldn't have understood. Now, fast forward today, I understand a lot more because I've asked those questions in the past. And mm -hmm. so like you use it at home, you use it in work. The reason I think it's hard is I mentioned conflict comes off as negative, but as kids, we always ask why. We always ask, it drives our parents crazy. Mm -hmm. Then we go to school. Out of my four kids, I've had two of them get disciplined for talking back to the teacher when all they said was what? Mm -hmm. Like seen as a negative, right? And then you go into your first job and if you're the senior executive that's stating something and I have a different opinion, if I politely speak up, they're going to think you're saying, you just got out of college. You don't know anything. Sit down. And so we kind of suppress the yeah. questioning Absolutely. and the challenging and the productive conflict. And it gets us to where here we are, where people don't agree. They feel like fighting against each other and it's not yeah. listening at all. As you were saying that, I've experienced all those things that you talked about, but um uh, one of the things that as an active listener I teach is that that you should ask that keep on asking what if or or what or why 
And sometimes people think of that as you're challenging them. You're, you're yeah. in conflict really. And all you're trying to do is, is have them expand upon it more to gain on the understanding. And I think maybe one of the things that we need to do if we're the person that's questioning or wanting to better understand is to state that. Yeah. I'm just trying to understand more. Tell me more and do it in a way, in a tone empathetically that allows them to, to know that this is a safe place for you to answer that question. I'm not judging you. I'm trying to understand. Absolutely. And you said a key word there is like empathetically. And I think well, we could talk hours about this, but I think that's the other mm -hmm. challenge is yeah. we, we don't teach people EQ and we probably should. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people are born with it. Some people do learn it, but I, I would guess that most of the people I interact with don't really have empathy. Yeah. That's um, when, one of the things I teach is leadership in the 21st century. And it is to have emotional intelligence, Absolutely. to understand empathy and and to do that, you you really start to build trust. And trust, I think, is one of the things that's also missing from a lot of workplaces is that feeling of trust. 100% agree. Yeah. So it's time for rapid fire real quickly. Um, I will just stick with one. So we talked about active and passive listening. So I wanted to talk about data literacy. Um, we talked about our brain being a, a computer and and talked about understanding. So let's just delve deeper into talking about what data literacy is and how and why it's so important. Yep. So everyone knows about reading comprehension. Like there's different levels of reading. You you read like just the actual literary part is what did they say? Can I understand the language? Then you try to do what's called like inferential learning. It's like, okay, from their statement, I'm going to infer something. And then you eventually evaluate it and you say, okay, well, based off that, if this was me, I would have done this. This is why. Data literacy is the same thing. It's not math. It's not science. It's not analytics. It's you're given data and information are the same thing. Information is just aggregated data. So you're looking at a coffee pot to buy on Amazon and it shows five star, four star. This pot's horrible. This pot's great. It's the process of taking that information, making sure you have a very specific question and using it to come up with an answer. Mm -hmm. So the opposite, sometimes it's better to talk about the opposite. The opposite is if you look at Amazon for the coffee pot and the first one says, this is the worst coffee pot ever, one star, I will never buy it. What do you do? Do you say, okay, I agree with them. Let's go to another coffee pot. What do you more. look at the next review? Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the next review, you're being data literate. It's critical thinking with information, basically. But many people will say, worst review. Now, the problem is maybe that person didn't like it because they like a dark blue and this only does a light brew. Maybe they want iced coffee, which I don't want, and this doesn't have it. Maybe it doesn't have a timer. Unless you ask those questions with the information presented, and, and the reason it's so important now is a lot of times data is presented in visualizations. Visualizations are so easy to misinterpret mm -hmm. compared to words in a book. You can have a chart that just goes like this and everyone's like, look, it's going up. Great. No, it might not be going up depending on how it was set up. So it's how we become data citizens because it's everywhere to challenge what we see to really yeah. understand the meaning. 
Awesome. Well, we could probably talk for another hour, but it is time for us to share my screen. So those of you that are listening, I am going to share my screen, but give you orally the website information for Kevin. And you can get everything when you go to my YouTube site or the findyourleadershipconfidence.com site. So again, those that are listening, you will go to https colon forward slash forward slash www.kevinhannigan, that's K-E-V-I-N-H-A-N-E-G-A-N.com, kevinhannigan.com. He is on Facebook, Data Literacy Project, initial cap, so Data Literacy Project. LinkedIn, he is at Kevin Hannigan, Twitter at Kevin Hannigan, and you can search YouTube to find him, Kevin Hannigan. Get that screenshot right now so you can get all this information. And I'm going to let Kevin talk to you about what you can find in terms of tools and tips and strategies. Yeah, thank you. If, if anyone's interested in learning more, I want to take any training classes, read any blogs or articles or templates for things like mitigating bias. Um, we're putting them all up on our website, which is on the bottom, turningdataintowisdom.com. Uh, it's a relatively new site, so we're still adding a bunch of stuff. But if you go there now, you'll see a lot of articles and, and blogs around these topics and adding them every day. Fantastic. So again, you have two websites you can go to. His new one is turningdataintowisdom.com. Again, turningdataintowisdom.com or just going to kevinhannigan.com. So thank you so much, Kevin, for sharing all this great information. And I do um, hope that everyone does go to your website, take advantage of um, those tools and tips and blogs and all those things that you have out there for everybody. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So as always, I end with reminding you that life is a journey and it is up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.